the soundtrack. Windsor, Ascot, Maidenhead, Bracknell, Wokingham, Henley, Reading. The voice, River Radio, of the Thames Valley. is Turning Pages here on River Radio. We'll be discussing some great books and our favourite reads. We'll be talking to author Mike Bryan, who's speaking at the Cookham Festival. And we'll be talking about food in books. Hello, I'm Heather and you're listening to Turning Pages. And we've got in the studio this morning, Julian. Good morning. Uh, Hello there, Heather. It's very exciting to have Julian back in the studio. And it's great to be back too. Oh, there you are. That's a bit of excitement. Um, Every week we aim to delight you with an eclectic mix of recommended books. Uh, for you to enjoy from the latest bestsellers to our favourite classics. So if you love reading or you just want to make sure you know what's happening in the world of books, this is your programme. Thank you for joining us. And thank you also to the Little Bookshop from Cookham, who is sponsoring um, the event, the the programme this week. So coming up on the show, uh, we've got Jeanette Kemp, who will be a regular voice on Turning Pages, and she'll be telling us about her favourite authors. Indeed. And the Cookham Festival is taking place next month between the 6th and the 22nd of May. And we're very pleased to be joined by uh, Mike Bryan, author, who's in the studio with us. Hello, Mike. Hello, Julian. Um, Mike's going to be speaking at the festival and he'll be um, telling uh, us all about his book and why we should go and listen to him at the festival. Great. We've also got the shortlisted nominations for the National Book Awards coming up. And we'll be looking at uh, food in books. And of course, to start the show, we've been scouring the papers to spot interesting book news for you. Indeed. But beforehand, this is our weekly little call out to all you listeners. Don't forget, we really do want to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. So please get in touch. Um, You can send an email to me at julian at river.radio and uh, tell us anything uh, about some news about books that you're reading, if something you found and you want to share, and we'll put it on one of our programmes at a later date. Brilliant. Right, so let's get the show on the... uh, Let's get the show going and let's start with a quick roundup of what book stories have been in the news recently. Well, there was a rather interesting one that uh, I I came across, which which came up with the subheading um, for a story, and it was in The Guardian last week, and it's a... Author Owen uh, Hatherley has set out to find fabulous modern buildings all over Britain, um, from Aberdeen right through to Aberystwyth. And what did he learn? He learned that every town has one, even Reading. So now that's I was, a bit mean. Well, it, I know. I mean, I think people are a bit rude about Reading. I mean, even Terry Wogan used to say about the announcements on, on, on the railway station. This is Reading. <laughs> but we're feeling a bit sorry for Reading. But um, as I went a little bit further into in the article, I discovered that the author has written about uh, what 
what is basically a gazette of modern buildings in Britain. And he's been in search of those really remarkable everyday uh, products of the modern movement that are often literally hiding in plain sight. Um, And again, as I say, from Aberystwyth to Aberdeen. And so what did he find in Reading? Well, the one building he singles out is the University Schools of Construction Management and Engineering. And it was designed by a company called Howell, Killick, Partridge and Amos in 1973. And it's known locally as the Lego building because of its um, uh, kit of parts look. Um, in Hatherley's eyes, it is the Katsura Palace in coloured concrete. Now, it really is an addictive book. It's one of those that you can pick up, dip into, dip out, and you just find something a page or two something interesting from anywhere over the uk and it's will really be a pleasure to those hardcore concrete caresses ah well it sounds great and i've got to say i don't know that building in reading so i will have to find it indeed <clears throat> so I've just ordered a new book and I am waiting in anticipation of its arrival. Now, I know it won't necessarily be to everybody's taste, but it's called Dinner with Joseph Johnson by Daisy Hay and published by Chatto. And we're not talking about the MP and brother of the Prime Minister here, but actually the 18th century bookseller and publisher who inspired people like William Wordsworth, Mary Wollstonecraft, Joseph Priestley, Samuel Taylor Coleridge and many others through a series of literary dinners. And over dinner once a week, the group of these finest minds of the age would be invited for Joseph Johnson. Most of them actually were very poor, so they actually appreciated the uh, boiled beef and um, and And carrots carrots. they were given. Um, And they were just discussing really exciting times because in the 18th century, it was this sort of profound time of change in political, social, cultural and religious ideas in Britain and abroad. I mean, this is time of the French Revolution, for example. Um, and they would be talking about shifts in things like the rights of women and children, Britain's relationship with America and Europe, pioneering revolutions in medical treatment. You could imagine it would be something today, you would find. It certainly would. So that would have been the the, the Enlightenment? Would it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, yes. So we're talking yeah. sort of 1770s, something like that. Right. And um, anyway, I'm really looking forward to reading yeah. this book. No, really, it sounds very interesting. Now, I've um, found a, a, a book of interest, which, which is, is, uh, is uh, contemporary, um, with the interest of the, what's going on in, in Ukraine um, and the fascination. There's a book called Putin's People, um, written by um, a leading author, and it's in the bestseller list at the moment. It's a story of Russia's history and politics, and it looks how Putin and his KGB entourage seized power in Russia and turned on the West. And it's been written by the former Moscow correspondent and investigative journalist, Catherine Belton. And it reads really like a John le Carre novel. Yeah, it's interesting that the interest in the war in Ukraine has really made people uh, be interested in in the history of Russia and the Ukraine. But it's also given us a a requirement for reassurance in uncertain times. And it's interesting to see that uh, as a sort of counterpoint to all those books about terrorism, war and corruption Mm. that have hit the bestsellers list, that Matt Haig's The Comfort Book 
is also there. It's uh, recently released in paperback and it's shot up into the top of the paperback list. And um, the comfort book is a collection of aphorisms and inspirational stories of survival against the odds, a guide of living and finding hope in these disjointed times. Mm. So if you're looking for a bit of comfort, then I'd recommend the comfort book. You'll certainly get that from Matt. Uh, and finally, I've been talking about uh, John Le Carre a little bit a moment ago. Um, finally, a collection um, by uh, the late novelist John Le Carre uh, was published um, later this week, and it's called A Private Spy, The Letters of John Le Carre, 1945 to 2020. And it spans almost eight decades from the author's childhood in wartime Britain uh, <clears throat> to just days before his death in 2020. And it contains letters um, to the Le Carre family and to friends, as well as to high-profile fans such as Hugh Laurie, Ralph Fiennes, Stephen Fry, Alec Guinness and Stop- uh, Tom Stoppard. Now, the topics range, um, interestingly, from politics to writing um, to his first marriage and the relationship that he had with his father, Ronnie Cornwall, who was a fraudster who spent four years in prison and was an associate of the notorious Cray brothers in the London's criminal cool. fraternity. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, I've got a link with the Cray brothers. Oh, have you indeed? Yes. Oh. And my handbag was stolen and the Cray brothers used my credit card. <gasps> Wow. And the police came to investigate. Those are the days when the police investigated those sort of things. And they wanted to know whether I had any links with the Cray twins. Ooh. And I didn't know what to say because I didn't know whether if I said no, yeah. then they'd come round <laughs> and kneecap me or something. <laughs> ah, well, there we go. But now, Le Carre's publisher, uh, Viking, um, has called the book the most intimate portrait of the great writer that will ever be published. Now, the letters have been selected and edited by uh, his son, who's the journalist Tim Cornwell, who has said that the experience, which is rather nice, was an enormous privilege. Now, Le Carre, um, his previous uh, career had been in British intelligence, working for both MI5 and MI6 during the 1950s and 60s, before he, he turned to writing for a living, earning critical acclaim around the world for his novels, uh, most famously The Spy Who Came In From The Gold, one of the early ones, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, and The Night Manager, mm-hmm. which is um, the, 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 the latest television, well, a few years ago. Now, he died in 2020. He was 89, uh, a good age um, and a private spy will mark his second book published posthumously because his novel Silverview came out last year right that sounds good mm. right so the 2022 shortlist for the British Book Awards also known as the Nibbies has just been announced it's one of the leading literary awards founded in 1990 by the bookseller and it's become known as the BAFTAs of the book world and it honours the best UK writers and their work across fiction, non-fiction and children's books. So if your reading pile is looking a little low on the ground, then the announcement of the shortlist should provide all the inspiration you need. Indeed. And in fact, here's the, the inspiration for you. Now, the prize is going to be divided amongst four categories. So there's going to be fiction of the year, uh, debut book of the year, crime and thriller book of the year and page turner of the year. Oh, yes. Mm. So this week, we're just going to be looking at the fiction book of the year. And as you'll see shortly, there's an incredible range of talent among the shortlisted titles this year. So you'll notice some well-established names, Kazuo Ishiguro and Sally Rooney, as well well as newcomers for example the um, Meg Mason who was 
the Woman's Prize for Fiction nominee. So there's lots to get your teeth stuck into. Here's the list in full. Now, we kick off with The Passenger by Ulrich Alexander Boscovich, published by Pushkin Press. Now, this is set in 1930, and Boscovich's novel provides an account of Jewish persecution in Nazi Germany, and it is said to provide an almost unbearable and suspenseful story of a fight for survival. Now, we were talking just before we came on air, and Mike, you've, you've just finished this book. Uh, yeah, I have, and uh, it was great. It's quite evocative of perhaps Rogue Mail by Geoffrey Housel. Oh, yes. Or, or The 39 yeah. Steps um, uh, by John Buchan. And it is, um, uh, the key character is being chased down by um, uh the authorities are going from train to train, and it's a very, very exciting. But you were book. telling me a tale about the author. Yeah. So what's really tragic about the author is um, he fled um, Germany in the 1930s and got to the UK and was um, held on remand, as lots of uh, German nationals were, and then uh, went to Australia. He was sent to Australia to out of harm's way decided in 1942 to get a, a ship back to the UK uh, and it was torpedoed by a U-boat. Uh, so he was ultimately killed by the Nazis. Gosh, oh. that's very sad. It is very sad. Yes, and Pushkin Press, of course, are, uh, they specialise in uh, translated fiction. They do indeed. So that's interesting. The Passenger is on the list there. Uh, the next book in the shortlist is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Durr, published by Fourth Estate. And landing a spot in Barack Obama's 2021 reading list, Cloud Cuckoo Land was noted as a literary feat when it's reviewed by The Independent, owing to being more than 600 pages long. So it is a bit of a doorstop, but it tells the lives of five characters that each form a substory to the main plot and how they're each connected by a copy of a mysterious ancient text. Gosh, and, and then we have uh, Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, published by Faber. And this um, is his eighth novel, um, pardon me, in a luminous journey through the mind of Clara, an artificial friend who has been built specifically to keep lonely children company. Um, using Clara's voice, Ishiguro explores themes of power, status and fear among humans, as well as the implication of, all, uh, of AI and human relationships. Um, Clara and the Sun was also long-listed for the 2021 Booker Prize. Yes. Empire of the Vi- Vampire by Jay Kristoff, published by Harper Voyager, is next. And this is a dark fantasy epic and the story of a lone warrior who's been captured by vampires and is said to be a visceral account that is unputdownable. Mm. Now, Sorrow and Bliss uh, by Meg Mason is published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson. Now, this was long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2022 for the award. Um, Sorrow and Bliss um, also took the top spot in our guide to the best books for 2021, thanks to it being an exciting, funny and thought-provoking novel. Now, it tells the story of 40-year-old Martha and her dysfunctional family a failed marriage and depression um while it sounds a little bit truly awful and a bit miserable um it isn't i mean it's one of the funniest books of the year um and it has the most recognizable of characters and finally we've got beautiful world where are you by sally rooney published by faber and this is the author's eagerly anticipated third novel 
uh, Beautiful World, Where Are You, is set in Ireland and does what Rooney's other titles do well, explores the lives and loves of its characters. And this one focuses on two best friends, Alice and Eileen, and their relationship with each other and those around them. So that sounds a really great shortlist and the award will be out in the end of May. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Now, we introduced you last week to a new colleague of ours, uh, Jeanette Kemp, uh, who will be joining the Turning Pages team. And when we were chatting last week, she had so many books that she wanted to tell us about that I've saved a couple more authors for this week. So let's hear her suggestions. Probably is my favourite book ever. So an author called Vera Brisson, Testament of Youth. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, I haven't read it, but of course it's a very famous book. It is a very famous book. Now, this began, this book began my passion of reading about the First World War. Not about the guns and the trenches, but about what happened, just the human loss and the relationships. And it was just the end of a totally different world, wasn't it? And um, so this is, and the other thing I like about this, so this is a true story, like a diary, Vera Britton. She actually was a, a lady that was born and was about to go to Oxford University, lovely, having a lovely middle-class life, and her brother was going to go off there, and the lady, the, the guy she was going to marry, all going off, and it was the start of a, and the book's beautifully written at the beginning. What I was going to say was, it's not like reading a non-fiction book, it's like reading a novel. So don't kind of let that put you off, because sometimes I see these big biographies, if you like, and think, oh, I'm not sure about that, but it's not, it's so, it's so beautifully and of course, you know, they're the lost generation, aren't they? It they just are. really struck me that this is what they were going to do. Off they were all going to go. And, you know, all the men went to the war. She ended up being a nurse, actually. She went out onto the continent was a nurse. And they basically all got killed. And I'm not ruining it in saying that because that is what that happened. And yes. just that kind of, you know, yeah, we're having tough times. We've had COVID and, you know, it's all a bit rubbish out there at the moment. But we haven't had that have we our young people that generation where you finish university and you're going off but no you're not you're, you're going to this war and it just really struck me and yeah. there's some really beautiful letters in it her, her brother was a musician really quite an effeminate man had a beautiful relationship with him and he was absolutely terrified sitting in these trenches and just that fear fear really came across and so that started sounds a little bit grim doesn't it but there was hope in it as well and, and in fact another thing at the end it describes VE day and we're always told, aren't we, we celebrate that VE Day, end of the war. Everyone's excited. Hooray, we're alive. The streets are decked. London's beautiful. But, of course, she made me realise a lot of people weren't thinking that. A lot of people were just thinking about that dreadful loss. How are they ever going to go forward in there? So I find I found that book so inspirational. I love reading books about that period of time. She's also written Testament of Experience of her going on to grow up. And Testament of Friendship, she became really good friends with Winfield Holtbury, who is also a good author, and um, about their friendship and uh, how close they were growing up after the war years. So, yeah, it's, I just had to bring her up because... <laughs> It's an older book, but honestly, I would urge anybody to read it. It's absolutely superb. Oh, and it sounds. just has the essence of how sort of beautiful and simple England was before all of that happened. It's, it's lovely. It's a really good recommendation. I love that book. Fantastic. That's a really good suggestion. I'll have one more. Very, Very quickly is Roma Turn. I have to really recommend her. Absolutely love this author. So she's Sri Lankan born. And now okay, so I don't know her at all. Right, okay, you've got to read, you've got to have a look at her. Mosquito, I'd say, is one of her best books. Her books are all about the sun and the warmth and the beauty. She said she writes about light, 
there's a, she's also an artist as well actually as well as a writer oh. and she says that when you write a book it's actually writing about light how the light's coming through the words and what sort of light you're shedding on what on part of the story so Sri Lanka with its beautiful sunny skies and beautiful blue waters as opposed to our rather grey North Atlantic and our greyer skies and, and the comparison of that um, touches a lot on the Sri Lankan Civil War which obviously was a huge thing out there and, and has that beautiful interwoven, interwoven with the beauty of the land I, I really recommend so the road to Umbrio is also a really good one and Brixham Beach they're all connected with stories of Sri Lankan stories beautiful houses and kind of devastation and kind of what happened uh, with with the um, civil war so i really recommend her she's absolutely brilliant the books are just beautiful <laughs> it sounds as though you find an author and then you've got to read everything that they wrote. <laughs> sometimes yeah sometimes i do you're a bit tempted aren't you think i must sort of read them all but obviously when you're in a book group you haven't got time to do that <laughs> no so, that's uh, fantastic yeah, well that definitely. sounds brilliant and i'm really looking forward to you joining us and we're having lots of conversations and i'll find lots Absolutely. of new authors out that that'll be a really great way of uh, of bringing you in so new ideas and you'll be joining us say once a month or something like that <laughs> Um, yep, for, uh, and some suggestions on books that's brilliant thank you very much indeed Jeanette we'll speak to you soon bye so we're really looking forward for Jeanette uh, joining us every so often. So I think her book group, I think, might be an inspiration for lots of topics. I think so, yes. And talking about lots of topics, our next topic is going to be food. Mm. Now, we've touched on food quite a bit. Obviously, last week we did cocktails, yes. which is a sort of food. Mm-hmm. And we've done cookery books before. We did, yes, we have done cookery books. But now we've decided, what well, just food. yes. Yes. For, yes, food and, well, we can cover everything, eating and everything, but food, yes. Yes, yes. right. Food, um, food, glorious food. Who said that? And, um, and you've got a great book, uh, an old book, Emile Zola, The Belly of Paris. Indeed, yes. I, I, I chose this one because um, it has, <laughs> whilst there is a, a story, obviously there is a story and the central characters, but as I explain as I go along, it it, it, it really is centres on food. It, it's amazing. It was, it was published, first published um, in 1873 in France, and then it was published in uh, in England in 1888. And uh, The Belly of Paris was, or in French, is Le Ventre de Paris, um, is the third in Zola's staggeringly large 20-volume Le Réunion Marcat series, and it's set in and around Léal, uh, which is the enormous 19th-century central market, um, which has been constructed of cast iron and glass as a symbol of modernity of the Second Empire under the rule of Louis-Napoleon III. Now, don't tell me you've read all 20 volumes. Uh, would you like the truth for last <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a little later that day, uh, we move on to... <laughs> uh, the story centres on a rather hapless character by the name of Florent uh, Cugnou, um, who's found himself on the wrong side of a street riot protesting against a power grab by Louis Napoleon. Interesting about uh, almost contemporary cuisine. And having spent the last seven years in a penal colony, uh, Florent escapes and finds his way back to Paris um, and his arrival is courtesy of Madame Francois and her vegetable wagon. Mm-hmm. 
Now, though he's fatigued and he's malnourished from his years in the in the uh, penal colony in exile, Florence uh, still manages to marvel in wonderment at the changes um, Paris has undergone since he was last in the city. The narrow, nasty streets of all those years ago have been transformed into grand avenues and boulevards. Even the medieval food market has been transformed into the splendour which is Leal. Now, Florence can only gape in amazement at the various pavilions in the market for flowers, for fruit, for fish, for poultry, for vegetables, for butter, and, oh, for the cheeses. Right, we're going to listen to a little bit of the opening. The Cheese Symphony. Beneath the stall show table, formed of a slab of red marble, veined with grey, Baskets of eggs gleamed with a chalky whiteness, and gournets arranged like medals forming darker patches tinted with green. But it was upon the table that the cheeses appeared in greatest profusion. Here, by the side of the pound rolls of butter lying on white beet leaves, spread a gigantic cantal cheese, cloven here and there as by an axe. Then came a golden-hued Cheshire, and next a Gruyere, resembling a wheel fallen from some barbarian chariot, whilst farther along were some Dutch cheeses, suggesting decapitated heads, suffused with dry blood, and having all the hardness of skulls, which in France has gained them the name of death's heads. Amidst the heavy exhalations of these, a parmesan set a spicy aroma, then there came three brie cheeses displayed on round platters and looking like melancholy extinct moons. Two of them, very dry, were at the full. The third, in its second quarter, was melting away in a white cream which had spread into a pool and flowed over the little wooden barriers with which an attempt had been made to arrest its course. The rock force under the glass covers also had a princely air, their fat faces marbled with blue and yellow, as though they were suffering from some unpleasant malady, such as attacks the wealthy gluttons who eat too many truffles. And on a dish by the side of these, the hard grey goat's milk cheeses, about the size of a child's fist, resembled the pebbles which the billy goats sent rolling down the stony paths as they clamber along ahead of their flocks. Next came the strong-smelling cheeses, the Montdors of bright yellow hue and exhaling a comparatively mild odour. The Troyes, very thick and bruised at the edges, and of a far more pungent smell, recalling the dampness of cellars. The Camemberts suggested the high game, the square Neufchatels, Limbourgs, Marolles and pont Levesques, each adding its own particular sharp scent to the maladrous bouquet, till it became perfectly pestilential. The Liveros, ruddy in hue and as irritating to the throat as sulphur fumes, and lastly, stronger than all the others, the olivettes wrapped in walnut leaves, like the carrion which peasants cover with branches as it lies rotting in the hedgerow under the blazing sun. Oh, that is a fantastic reading. Isn't it, Joss? Yes. And that's very a, evocative. It's very, very, uh, very much so. And it's, that's how it came to be called the Cheese Symphony. 
after ah. after it was written. I mean, it's, uh, so it, uh, Zola didn't call it that. It was it was given that name after it was written. Just for that chapter. Just for that chapter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now, though we're introduced to a variety of characters, such as Claude um, Lantier and the young painter, uh, 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 he, who's a young painter, I beg your pardon, and Majolan, a young boy who wishes to become a painter, um, and the childhood sweetheart of Majolan called uh, Cadine, it's the food that steals the scenes, as we've, we've heard. And there are more descriptions as you go through the book, such as carts piled high with seafood and eggs and baskets of cheeses and butters now as claude takes florent on a tour of the um stalls florent bless his heart is gnawed by hunger however he noticed this is skinny artist is not particularly interested in actually the consumption of of, of, of the actual thing but he's really consumed by the paintability um and the beauty of, of the foods and how he can go and paint them um and he's not particularly interested in how they taste now, Florent is reunited with his half-brother, Cugnou, who, along with his plump wife, Lisa, run a delicatessen across the road from the market. Um, and he is invited to lodge with them. And again, it's the food that um, forms the centre ground as Florent ogles the goods his brother sells in the shops. A world of good things, mouth-watering things, rich things, big fat hams, thick cuts of veal and pork, whose juices had jellied clear as crystal candy and casseroles in which sliced meat slept under blankets of fat. Now, ever the revolutionary, Florent sees all the extravagances of the food um, stores as a uh, um, pabulum that is seducing the bourgeoisie into accepting and what Florence sees as the oppression of the emperor's regime. And yet, despite his opposition to everything he accuses Leal of, Florent takes a job as an inspector of the fish markets. Now, his job um, takes him into daily contact with what he calls his huge women, the shopkeepers who throw their weight about, um, intimidating, often trying to trick him. And he realises that um, he's been seduced, that seduction of f- the fat has made him soft and easy. So he joins his friend, Gavar, who's been introduced earlier in the story, who's a poultry seller. Um, And they go to a basement meeting of radicals who are intent on overthrowing the empire. Now, does the band of dissidents succeed? And does Florent and Gavard escape arrest? Well, you're going to have to find out by reading the book. Now, The Belly of Paris um, um, is is still available, and it's worth reading even if it's only for the drool-inducing description of the food. Um, And it is available. It's published by Oxford World Classics, which is Oxford University Press. Fantastic. Well, I've got to say, that does sound a really good book. Thank you. And it was very sumptuous, the descriptions of, mm. um, of the food. And I do think I love a great market. Mm. You, you can't beat a, a, a really good market. Uh, you just to see all, everything on display. And particularly if you go first thing in the morning, if you know, to get the best of, 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 what's, of what's available. Yes, yes. Sometimes we often go to Borough Market when mm. we're in town. Mm. That's always a great probably, example. Probably... Um, our nearest thing to Leal, I would imagine, is, um, is, yeah. is Borough Market, uh, and well worth a visit. Yeah, but it's quite the thing now, isn't it? Get, I mean, there's one up in Altrincham in Manchester, mm-hmm. and a great one in Hull. Oh, really? Um, 
in the old sort of the museum quarter, yep, lovely. Um, which is sort of like a foodie central mm-hmm. as well, where they have half of the um, the great hall, this sort of steel and glass construction. Mm-hmm. Half of the hall is really just for tables, so you can go and buy your uh, your lunch ah, from various right, places yep. and then sit down. It's a great yeah, great atmosphere. It, but in, on a smaller scale, there's there's a very good one, which, but it is small. It's um, it's in, in Canterbury at the old um, um, uh, goods yard at Canterbury West Station. Ah, yes, yeah, really good. Yeah. yeah, and of course, round here we've got all our yes. farmers farmers yeah. markets, which yeah. is a great thing to go yeah, to. Indeed. Um, right, so we're now talking about the Cookham Festival. And the Cookham's Arts Festival is taking place uh, between the 6th and the 22nd of May, so just next month, and it promises to have something for everyone. Now, last week, Sam Setti spoke to the chairman of the festival, Derek Bond, to ask him to explain what the festival is all about. And we've got that recording, so let me just play it for you now. Oh, that doesn't appear to be playing. Perfect. Now, first and foremost, what is the Cooking Festival? Give us the highlights. So the Cooking Festival really is a celebration of the arts by the village, for the village, and it covers three main areas, really, the spoken word, music and the visual arts and it's a great celebration we've got over 40 events over the whole fortnight so we're really looking forward to it what's the highlight of the festival this year well we've got a number of highlights in, in, in all areas really we've got an evening with michael parkinson which sort of kicks off the whole festival we've got robert thurgood who's a local lad here in marlow we've got a concert by alexander wood to cap off the end of the festival so there are many things for people to come along and enjoy now how long's the festival been going this isn't the first year is it no not at all so it started well, in its current form back in 1967 and it's a biannual event 67 um, did you say 67 wow yes so it's been going for many years it's well established 49 years no that's over 50 years yeah so it's a really established festival and of course we won't go into details but it should have been last year and obviously it's been put back to this year so we're really looking forward to it it's a great opportunity for people to get out to throw off the shackles of lockdown and restrictions hopefully Fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, we don't want uh, anything uh, to put us off this year. So how do people get involved with it? They get involved in the, in the drama. We've got uh, Under Milkwood being performed by local villagers in uh, the Trinity Church, which is actually on Dylan Thomas Day. We're really looking forward to that. So people get involved. We've got the children of all schools getting involved in a children's cantata, which has been written by a local composer, Rob Castell. It's a sequel to uh, another cantata that was performed at the last festival in 2019. We're looking forward to that. And it's all about the environment. So it's about nature fighting. And so we've got lots of things going on. So where's the best place for people to go and find out more information? Well, you need to go, obviously, to the cookhamfestival.co.uk website. All the information is on there. There's a ticket 
button where you can press and go straight in and buy all your tickets online. We're hopefully going to have the opportunity to buy tickets as well in the little bookshop later on at the end of the month. So if I bought a ticket... Does that cover the whole festival or is that a particular day? I'm trying to work that out. No, it's the particular event that you're right. buying a ticket oh, for. So okay. each event is priced. They, they range from £10 to £25. But we've also got, uh, which we've had established for about 15 years now, the Sculpture Garden at the John Lewis Odney mm-hmm. Club. That was curated by Lucy Irvin. She's done a great job for us over the last 15 to 20 years. And this year will be curated by Chris Harper from Micklem's Farm. So that's another event that people can go along to enjoy the Odney Club and see all the sculptures. We've got over 30 artists exhibiting there. Now, you told me something before we went on mic. You've already sold out 600 tickets. Yeah, in the first 24 hours, we sold 600 tickets. I'm told the website's been very busy. So I would suggest, in fact, we know that one event has already sold out. Wow. Amazing. So uh, we're very pleased with that. Derek, thank you so much. I can't wait for the Cookham Festival. It's going to be really exciting. Fingers crossed for the weather as well, hey? Yeah, and I understand you're going to come along and see us as well. So we look forward to seeing River Radio at the festival in May. Thanks a lot, Derek. We will be there. So as you can see, there is literally sessions to suit everyone, including a whole host of book sessions, which were obviously particularly interesting. So each week between now and the festival, we're going to be inviting an author to talk about their session. And the first person who's agreed to come along is Mike Bryan, who's talking on Monday the 9th of May. So welcome to the studio, Mike. Thank you. And uh, it's great to great to have you in person, because a lot of our interviews up to now have been via Zoom. So first of all, obviously, it's a book session, so you've just written a, a book and your session is about that. So tell us what it's all about. Yeah, so the book's called Roman Britain and Where to Find It. So I'm going to be talking about Roman Britain and where to find it. The clue's um, in the title. The clue is definitely in the title. Um, and I don't know if any, any of your listeners remember a book called England's Thousand Best Churches. Um, this is kind of a similar book. It tells you where there is in Britain that you can see something significantly and wonderfully Roman. And whether that's a building or something fabulous in a museum. So it's, um, it's England, Scotland uh, and Wales and all the amazing Roman sites that you can go and see. It just reminds me at the, the beginning of the programme we were talking about modern Britain, um, great buildings, uh, great modern buildings in Britain and that's sort of like a very similar approach isn't it because we don't know what's hiding in our towns. No I think that's right and I, I, a lot of people have this view that Rome, uh, that Britain doesn't have great Roman remains but they'll all know about Hadrian's Wall and they'll know about the baths in in uh, the Roman baths in Bath, um, and perhaps um, St Albans. But outside that, they probably don't know that there's very much, and they they see Roman sites as just being low walls everywhere. <clears throat> but excuse me. But um, Britain has some of the best sites in the whole of the Roman Empire. It's got two of the most perfectly preserved Roman forts on the south coast, one at Porchester and one at Pevensey, which are just breathtaking. They kind of hide what they are as Norman castles, but um, the walls are Roman and they are absolutely magnificent. So why do you think your book was required, was needed in the marketplace? So I... um, 
I've, I've always been interested in Roman stuff and in, in Roman Britain in particular. And there was nowhere that you could find everything that there is to see in Britain that's that's great. Um, and I was talking to my co-author, uh, who is an archaeologist, uh, about this. And we both said, wouldn't it be brilliant if there was a book that showed you where all these wonderful places were and what you could go and see? Uh, and there wasn't one, so we decided to write it. So well, that's, that's the best reason to write a book, isn't that, it? The, that's the why gap we in the it. market. Yes. Yeah. So you've looked at National Trust sites, English Heritage sites, museums. Yeah, so it's it's not just, uh, I mean, it is English Heritage sites uh, and it is National Trust, but privately owned things as well. I mean, there's a wonderful little museum in Northamptonshire, P- Piddington, uh, about all about a Roman villa with the most wonderful things in it. And it's just, it, you just have to go and see that little place run by volunteers, but it's wonderful. And actually, we need to support all those smaller museums because the lockdown has just had an amazing impact negatively on, on those uh, on those places. Yes, they've been absolutely ravaged by not having people going to see them. So now that we're all doing and enjoying staycations, get out there and see these, the sites that are in this book. Okay, so I'm looking at the uh, Cook and Festival um, programme and there's lots to see and do all over those two weeks. Why should I book a seat for your, your um, show? Well, I think I'm going to be enthusiastic about Roman Britain and let's face it, um, it's a very important year this year. It's the 1900th anniversary of Hadrian's of Wall. Course. So there's loads of Roman stuff going on. And if you've never been to Hadrian's Wall, you've got to go to Hadrian's Wall. Uh, but it's not the only wall that we have, a Roman wall barrier in Britain. There's another one further north, the Antonine Wall that goes between Glasgow and Edinburgh, which is equally fascinating. Um, so I will be talking about amazing things uh, and um and showing you about them and uh i i do say come come to the cookham dean cricket club to come and see me it's a great place i score i've scored quite a few runs on the pitch there in in the past so do come and be knocking, uh, and knocking us for six will you I hope <laughs> i'll um, bowl you over <laughs> so will you be concentrating on local sites or will you actually be talking about the whole of no, I I will talk about some local sites, and uh, but really I will be talking about um, a fort in West Wales, or the Antonine Wall in Scotland, uh, or the forts of the Saxon Shore along the south coast. It, it'll be uh, everywhere, and I'll be talking about um, souvenirs from Hadrian's Wall that you can that one one of which was found in Dorset, uh, and I'll be talking about the famous Great Chesterton phallus pot which um has got willies writ all over it so you're allowed to say that on national radio i hope so if i'm not i've just i've I've just blown it and we haven't got our bleep button (laughs) so what's your favorite site near here um well i don't it might be my favorite site of all there are two sites not far away. One of them is uh, St Albans, which is wonderful. It has a fantastic museum. It's got one of the most wonderful collections of mosaics to go and see. But there is a secret place, and it's just south of Reading. It's Silchester. Ah. It's surprisingly difficult to get to, considering the Romans built really straight roads. Those Roman roads have disappeared, and um, you can only get it by strange Anglo-Saxon roads. 
But it's worth getting there because it is a, a deserted Roman city mm-hmm. and it has a full set of walls uh, and an amphitheatre and not many people know about it, but it is a really secret and wonderful place. And spring is a great time to go and see it. You'll see uh, the March hares running around in within the walls. It's a, it's a spectacular place. Oh, that's fantastic. And are there plans to um, excavate it at all? Well, it has been excavated over the past um, 50 years uh, by Reading University. Ah, okay. So they know uh, an awful lot about the, uh, about the internal street pattern and, and what the buildings are. They've backfilled, uh, as they do, uh, archaeologists do nowadays. But you can see the Roman city wall which stands to 30 feet in almost all the way around it it is quite impressive so julian are you a big roman um site person well i I have to be honest i mean and not that much in in a way because i've always liked um my buildings to be complete so Mm. to actually see um sort of the incomplete bits but having um been um raised near chester that did uh, give me a taste because i mean chester as mike will 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 tell tell us um has uh so many fantastic ruins still in place well it does it's uh, it's one of the great legionary fortresses along with york and Caerleon in in south wales uh, and the legions, 5,000 soldiers stationed there. Uh, and in Chester, it was the 20th Valeria Victrix, which was the ah. legion, legion base yeah. there. Um, but a lot of the Roman walls, or city walls of Chester, are actually Roman. And there's mm. a, a fantastic amphitheatre there, and uh, a hypercourse garden. And uh, yeah, there's lots to see. And, and the fantastic Grosvenor Museum. Yes, indeed. It's, it's really good. Yes, and I think it's that combination, isn't it? It's not Roman signs aren't just going and seeing no. small walls. No. It's also seeing the treasures mm. that are included in um, in the museums. Mm, mm. And I remember um, when we went to visit, uh, and my memory's shocking, the, 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 the great fort um, down near Dover, um, at Richborough, Richborough, and you know we, we went, went and had a look, and then and then we went into the exhibition and 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 you know, we saw what what it would have looked like with with the with the the, the gateway oh, right. that overlooking the channel, and you know to think, gosh, that, that how staggering that would have been. And bearing in mind you know, when when it was built, so when you see those um, reconstructions, then that really adds to the magnitude of, of 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 what's been left behind. I think. Yes, absolutely. I think we're sort of spoiled, isn't it? by all the sort of you go to the Colosseum in Rome yes, and you think all buildings should be like that exactly. but, yes. but Dover is a case in point because it has this amazing Roman lighthouse which is within the yes. walls of the castle and it's one of only two complete Roman lighthouses wow. in the whole of the Roman yeah. Empire that you can go and see So one of the two in the Roman Empire in the Roman Empire wow, that's that amazing. are still um, uh, there, so it is. It, it's an, Britain has amazing Roman mm. uh, remains. Yeah, and we we need to 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 celebrate mm. them. Well, and celebrate them. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, you've uh, the the book's been published. Have you been doing many events? Um, well, I've been doing some, but it, but COVID obviously has impacted quite a bit. But uh, nothing beats a live event. Really. No, I'm just really excited actually with the cooking festival coming mm. up, actually being able to go and sit and listen in person. I'm done with Zoom talks. Mm. Now. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, I no, agree. no, me too. And I think the the great thing about a live talk is not just the talk itself, which of course 
will be absolutely brilliant. Of but um, it's the question and answer session at the end, because I love those questions that come in, which allows me to riff off on on some subject that is fantastic but hasn't been included in the talk mm. and is somebody's particular interest and is somebody's particular interest yeah yeah because yeah, you can't cover everything can you um, no, in the no talk? well the, so the talk's going to be 45 minutes long yeah. and then there'll be 15 minutes of uh, yeah. of questions and answers and you can't cover everything in in that yeah no and absolutely I, not. You know, I could talk about the subject for three hours <laughs> Well, luckily, we don't have that much time. <laughs> but I know you live within the local environs. Yeah. Um, so um, have you been to the Cook and Festival before? Are you planning on going to other events um, this year? Well, I, I do live in Cookham. So, uh, yes, I have been to the Cook and Festival before and it's wonderful and there's lots of things. I do love the um, the sculpture garden. That, oh, uh, that, that Derek that was talking Derek about. Was talking yeah. About. Yeah. So if people haven't been to the Odney Club, which is the John Lewis um, private um, gardens, mm-hmm. uh, it's a fabulous opportunity um, because the sculpture garden is actually in amongst all the the gardens so you sort of do a tour around the gardens and you can see just these amazing sculptures which you can purchase but you can also just admire and then you can have a cup of tea Mm. and a cake from the the John Lewis uh, canteen there. Lemon drizzle cake? Oh, I think lemon drizzle cake might be on the menu. We'll have to ask them specially. But yeah, it's it's just a lovely atmosphere. Mm. And uh, actually, on the two Saturdays, um, they will have a poetry Oh. Um, so in fact, we'll be inviting Mike Burton uh, to come on to oh, the lovely. show um, and um, talk about the poetry elements mm-hmm. of the festival because uh, Mike's Mike's involved in that. But sorry, getting back to you, Mike, sort of waxing lyrically on the um, about the gardens. Um, what what events will you be going to? Have well, you I'm, spotted some events? Yes, I have, to? and I'm already planning to go. Uh, one is the uh, Stanley Spencer walk. So there is a walk around Cookham showing all the places that Stanley Spencer painted. And I love Stanley Sp- Spencer as a painter. Yeah. Uh, and that's happening uh, on two days. It's on the 10th and the 11th of May. So one of those I'll be And I I'll think that's with. Stanley Spencer's grandson. It is. So the, the person taking taking us round will be um, Stanley Spencer's grandson, Brilliant. which is which is lovely. That, yeah. that family continuity, isn't it? Uh, and then the other thing, and I... Uh, I'd be mad not to go to it, is uh, Gabor Thomas of Reading University, great archaeologist, will be talking about the uh, excavations happening in Cookham this year, uh, looking for the Saxon Abbey uh, where uh, King Offa's um, queen, St. Sundrath, uh, was buried. Uh, and um, so... That's going to be really interesting, I think. They found part of the Abbey last year. They'll be digging this year and it'll be really interesting to find out what they find. Right. Yes, I think they've done a lot of analysis of the things that they found. Yeah. So I think the talk will be centred on um, on what they've discovered from the artefacts that they, they dug up last oh, year. Oh, right. Oh, gosh, um, that'd be good. Uh, yeah, and of course they're planning on digging again. Ah, right. Oh, continuing the excavations. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. I think Gabor is he with Reading University. Yes, he's at Reading University, and I think the plans are to to dig for about five years. So I think oh, it's right. not it's not a small thing. Yeah. So uh, the Cooking Festival is every other year. So hopefully right. Gabor Thomas will be back 
um, again in in the future and with an update of with what an they've update. discovered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So it's really interesting mm. um, to see what is around um, under our very feet. Yes, and also I think the cooking festival is part of what um, the village has to offer um, to the local environments because there's quite a lot of. Um, great talent in mm-hmm. the village that we need to celebrate and mm. i think local radio is part of celebrating local talent so uh, thank you very much indeed for coming along and joining us and um i know also you've been involved in um in publishing in a different life and uh we've just got a few minutes to uh to go before the end of the mm-hmm. programme. And, of course, we've got the London Book Fair. We do. That's a hoving interview quite uh, quite soon. It's going to be on the... If I can remember the date exactly. It's next week, isn't it? Is it is next week. It is the 5th, um, I believe. It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday next week. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's all we that's need all to know. Okay, and, Julian, right. you're going, aren't I you? I will be going, yes, yes. I will be there on the Tuesday and the Wednesday. Uh, and I think it's um, it's going to be quite an interesting fair this year because I basically because all the publishers have been um, locked away from 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 fairs. The 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 last fairs that we attended were in 2019. There'll be the London Book Fair in the Frankfurt in October, and then 20 was cancelled. 21 was cancelled, and so this is the first opportunity. And I suspect it's going to be a lot of excitement of almost a bit like beginning of term yes. uh, at your school where you're meeting your old chums again and I suspect a lot of it's going to be oh gosh you know how did you get on it'll be just sort of it'll be covid stories and probably the the poor old books will get put aside a little bit as everybody's catching up with excitement and I think it will be though unfortunately the toll is that um whilst it's an important fair um, it is an international fair, um, but um, as a still as a result of COVID, a lot of um, overseas visitors won't be coming because there are a number of constraints still um, in place in various countries, yes. um, which it, whilst they may be able to arrive in Britain relatively easily, they may be f- obliged to go into quarantine when they return home so the overseas numbers of visitors will be almost non-existent this year unfortunately yes and that's particularly important for you of course it is yes because i'm involved in the export side um and uh, so that will be that will be a sadness um but i think it's going to be quite a lot of fun um because as i say it's been two years you know as as you were saying you know we've zoom meetings zoom conferences which are not the same thing at all um and and basically with a zoom conference if anybody hasn't um been involved in one you, you 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 log into it and then you're immediately asked to turn your mic off and your camera off and so you're all sitting there not quite in the dark but so to be in front of the publisher to have a you know a chat and a presentation see the new books is going to be great yeah will you miss not going or 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 will you be going well i don't know i'm i'm flying uh, i'm in new york next week and i get back on wednesday morning so there's a chance that i could get there on uh, on thursday so i might just for catch-up. Yeah, I, I suspect there'll be a few bottles of champagne being opened. Ah. It, 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 would be, uh, it would be a shame to miss them. <laughs> Absolutely. You see, another benefit of some live events. And I understand, sorry, going back to your talk at the Cookham Festival, uh, you were saying that you're at the uh, Cookham Cricket, um, Cricket Club. Cricket Club. Cookham Dean, Cookham Dean Cricket Club. 
and I know that there is a bar available. There will be a bar available. So it yes. starts at seven thirty. Right. Oh yes, indeed. <laughs> and the tickets you uh, may be bought from the website, which is uh, it's all one word. It's cookhamfestival.co.uk, and you can find out more details about the programmes over the coming uh, two weeks. And now there is when you get onto the homepage, there is a ticket button which you can uh, tap onto and buy your ticket and mike's talk is on monday the 9th at, uh, at 7 30 so it sounds it sounds great so i'll definitely be well, i, I look i look forward to seeing everybody there and in fact river radio will be there in a number of the sessions exactly so yes. if you are coming along then um do come along and say hello indeed if river radio yeah. um are are yeah. there and you'll see us because yeah. no doubt we'll have headphones and a Indeed. microphone in our hand and, and mike just a quick question I, if any of uh, the participants uh, um, audience come will you have uh, books that they could uh, yes i will yeah, i'll have co- copies of the books there which i will be happy to sign for anybody who would like to buy one Excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. And, are, and are you working on another book? Yeah, I'm looking at the treasures of Roman Britain at the moment, which I think would be a, a really interesting subject because there's some amazing uh, silver and gold and mosaics and, and things like that. And are they mostly museums? or They're mostly in museums, but quite a number of them are in private collections as well. So um, that, that would be uh, an interesting project to work on. Yes. So, so would you do a, a similar sort of theme? So basically, where to where to go to the museums? Would you be uh, obviously the private collections if they're not yeah, available so, for viewing? But so where they are available to go and see? Yes, you'll be. Uh, yeah. that, that will all be listed. If it if they're in a private uh, collection, then that will, yes. that will be said. So yeah, view by appointment only, probably. Yes, mm. I think there are so many um, treasures in private uh, collection yes. which yeah. is a shame it, in a way yeah. i know you were saying before uh before we mic'd up that you were talking about the helmets that have been found um and they were on show in the british museum but as a loan just for a couple of uh months yes yeah, so so it was um, a cavalry helmet uh well there were a number of them but one of them is uh, in a private collection which is a shame but it it, it does come out at uh from the collection to the British Museum uh, and to the um, uh, the museum in in um, in the north. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, where where it was found close to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that's that's the important thing, isn't it? Being gained, gained access Did, to indeed. So the books that we've been recommending today, well, we've got Owen Hathley, Modern Buildings in Britain, a gazetteer published by particular books and then we have dinner with joseph johnson by daisy hay and published by chateau putin's people by Catherine belton published by william collins and we have mike bryan's roman britain and where to find it published by amberley uh, viva britain testament of youth published by virago modern classics uh, roma turner mosquito published by william collins ah and the belly of paris by emile zola published by oxford world classics i'm assuming you're not going to recommend the 20 
20 volumes. No, no, I think we'll just keep it simple and just take the first volume, which is The Belly of Paris. <laughs> Fantastic. So we look forward to you joining us next week between uh, 11 and 12 noon on River Radio on a Wednesday. And we're also repeated on Sunday between 2 and 3 in the afternoon. But don't forget that if you're not able to join us live for any of our programmes, then there is the Listen Again feature, which you can do directly from our website. And Turning Pages is also available as a podcast. So you just need to search for Turning Pages on River Radio Podcast. And um, we'd like to say... Thank you to the Little Bookshop in Cookham for sponsoring uh, Turning Pages this month. It's been a pleasure to be with you and we'll be with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. In a world where radio stations are ten a penny... Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station... There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one. That stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. Ha!